0: Happy Easter! And you hope it's. I'm so glad to see you. But I turn this thing the right way around so I can actually read what I'm saying. Today, in the next 24 hours, hundreds of millions of people will get up when it's dark. I know that's a foreign concept to some of you, but when it is pitch black, and they will get up to attend early morning Easter sunrise services. Now, why is it? That Easter is the only holiday that we celebrate at the break of dawn right the way around the world and the answer is because we learned that Jesus had risen from the dead at the dawn of a brand new day it is a new day because of Easter on the screen early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. Remember new day. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. By the way, non-sec, uh, excuse me, secular historians record those earthquakes and the darkness that had happened previously. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. That's pretty, pretty audacious, isn't it? Just sitting on the stone, like, what are you doing here? (laughs) I can see it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear. By the way, that is a biblical response to seeing an angel. Normally, they fall down like dead men. If anybody tells you they've seen an angel... I am highly sceptical unless you're absolutely nigh on death. It would scare the living daylights out of you. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Now when the angel spoke to the woman, I love this part, he says, Hey, don't be afraid. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. And by the way, just as for hundreds of years before, it was prophesied it would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go, quickly, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he's going to go ahead from you up north to Galilee. And you will see him there, and remember, guys, what I have told you. Sometimes God wants to say to you, remember what I have told you. The woman ran quickly from the tomb. And they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angels' message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, and they grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Friends, why is Easter, the dawn of a brand new day, why is it so important? I'll tell you why, because it proved that Jesus Christ was telling the truth. That Jesus Christ, he he made some outrageous claims that no good, sane man would ever dare to make. Claims like, huh, I am the son of God. I am God wrapped in flesh. Here's something else that got some of them going, especially the Jews. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from me, Nobody's getting to heaven. That's an outrageous claim. Easy to claim that, right? But Jesus said this, if you don't even believe what I say, watch what I do and what I'm about to do. I'll prove it. And he did. The resurrection literally meant that everything he had taught was true. And by the way, everything that opposes what Jesus says is false. And on the day of that new, dawn of that new day, everything changed. He split history, boom, A, D, and B, C. was going to say A, C, D, C then. I thought, that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was electric, I can tell you. I'd have been amped. So should you be. And every time you write any date, including your birth date, every time we used to write things called checks, Every time we wrote that, we referenced one point in history, pivotal, the swinging point of everything. And that was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This Easter, 2,017 odd years later, I want to talk to you about a new day in your life and how this applies to you. Because there are massive implications from this fact of the resurrection. If you want to pull out your message outline, Luke chapter 1 verse 78 It says, a new day will dawn on us because, why? Because of our God is loving and he is merciful. Now, when you fully understand and you feel God's mercy, I'll tell you what will happen, friends. This is what's going to happen. When you fully understand and you feel it, your anxiety will go down and your peace of mind will increase your stress will be reduced and your stability will get an upgrade (laughs) your frustrations will start to be minimized and your fulfillment will start to get maximized so let's get some clear definitions here what is mercy? mercy is undeserved forgiveness undeserved forgiveness and marry that with unearned kindness and you get what mercy is and that's the way that God treats you friends mercy is when somebody forgives you and you don't deserve that that's mercy mercy is when somebody shows you undeserved kindness and you have not earned that that's called mercy mercy And the Bible says that God wants to show you mercy. Now, as a background for this series we're going to go into for the next six weeks, on the wonder of mercy, I have been reading 128 verses on mercy in the Bible from the NIV version. Today I want to focus, though, on three particular areas where God says He wants to show you mercy. He wants to show you mercy in three areas. Number one, and we're going to cover these in detail. One, when you're ashamed. And everyone of us has been there. Number two, God wants to show you mercy when you're angry. And we're going to look at an example of that. And number three, God wants to show you mercy when you're afraid. And we're going to look at specifically what every person in this room has been afraid of. Now, if you fully understand and fully feel the implications of God's mercy, you will not struggle with feeling ashamed for all the things that you've done wrong. You will not struggle with a feeling of feeling angry for the things that you don't have. And you won't be afraid for all the things that could happen to you in the future. So, Jesus shows his mercy to everyone in pain. And I will to look at three examples of how Jesus demonstrated very practically mercy and how he wants to do the same for you. First, when I'm ashamed, you may want to write this down. I need God's mercy when I have sinned. And that includes all of us. None of us are perfect. I have never met, and I've lived around the world in different countries, In any country, anyone who claimed to be perfect and had never sinned, not one person. See, I don't even measure up to my own standards, the things I'd like set as my own standards, let alone God's, which are much higher than mine's. And the Bible says this, it confirms this fact, it says, For all have sinned, and they fall short of God's glory, or the glory of God. A second verse that underlines this, which gets to the heart of the point, if we say we have no sin then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us so it's a fairly reasonable first point that all of us have sinned but the question is this how does God react when you and I fall short when we sin well John 8 verse 2 through 11 tells us a story and it's a very interesting story of a humiliated woman I want to pick it up on the screen. Early the next morning, Jesus, that's he, was back at the temple again. A crowd soon gathered. And he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught. You may want to circle that word, caught, in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught, here's, circle that word again, in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap, circle the word trap, trap him into saying something they could use against him. Three words, caught, caught, and trap. Notice the woman was caught. In a relationship she should never, ever, ever, ever have been in. It was a wrong relationship. I also noticed as I was reading this, that the religious leaders deliberately planned to catch her in the act. It was a setup. They were ready for this one. But and by the way, the man should have been there as well. should have been there, which I'm suspicious about. Two. They're trying to trap and discredit Jesus as a teacher. Now, this is how this works. If he condemned her, he would lose favor with the common people. But if he did not, he would be disagreeing with Moses. That's why they were trying to trap him and use it against him. Question this morning. What are you caught up in that you know is wrong? She knew it was wrong, and you know it's wrong. What is it? Is it an unhealthy relationship? May not have gone as far as this woman, but is it unhealthy? Maybe it's a secret habit that you're even keeping from those that you love. An addiction. Or maybe it's just a, you're caught up in a bad business deal and you know you shouldn't be in that deal. Maybe you're caught up in materialism thinking that money is the whole purpose of life. Or maybe this is a common one. Living, you're caught up in living your life for the approval of other people. That's a trap that a lot of us get caught in. And this woman was obviously caught in the wrong relationship, carrying on. They were just trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. Now, nobody knows what he said. Okay? There's debated, theologians debate all sorts of things. But personally, I kind of think that he wrote things like some of their sins of the accusers, things like arrogance, things like Hatred, things like envy, things like cheating, things like spousal abuse, things like lust, things like tax evasion. I'm sure that's the sort of thing he put down. Also notice... Jesus protects the woman's dignity. Is she wrong? Absolutely she is flat wrong. So is the guy. Had she sinned? Yes. Now, here's the point, friends. You do not have to agree with a person's actions to treat them with dignity. If you claim today to be a follower of Jesus, you must, like your master does here, treat every single person with dignity. Doesn't matter who they are. They may be from a different religion. They may be from a different political persuasion, and boy, you know about it. They may be from a different lifestyle. They may be involved in all kinds of, let me put it bluntly, gross sin. Wicked, evil, bad, nasty stuff. But still, you need to treat them with dignity. Why? Because that's what Jesus just did. Jesus accepted everybody, but he did not approve of everything they did. He accepted everybody, but he didn't approve everything they did. Jesus accepts me. Carrying on. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Now notice this little sidebar. Beginning with the oldest. Uh Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, Woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Ghost in no more see Jesus didn't condone her activity neither did he condemn her he changed her heart and that's what Jesus wants to do with you what happens when I ask for God's mercy when I've sinned this is what happens God's mercy forgives me and frees me from guilt and that's what Jesus said he came to do. See, in John 12:48, at his first coming, physical, bodily coming, his first coming, Jesus said this, I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Now notice, it is his first coming. That's how he came, with that attitude. That is not going to be the same at the second coming. I'll make that distinction soon. But let me be very clear about this so there's no confusion. One day, there will be a judgment day when every human being will give an account of their life. This is for the people who reject the grace and the mercy of God. This judgment will happen in his second coming. That's what's going to happen then. And God doesn't want to judge you. He wants instead to show you the wonder of his mercy, which is amazing, which is why Jesus came to earth. And he offers you mercy before, before the judgment day comes. The only people who will be judged here on the judgment day are all the people who have willingly, and of their own free will, rejected the mercy of God. So the choice this morning, my friends, is simply this. Do you want the mercy of God? Or do you not? God will not force Himself upon you. Now I don't know about you. If you're ashamed of what God's da- of what you've done, but I have been, and this is how God responds to me and to you. If we humble ourselves and confess our sins, the Bible is clear about this. We don't have to guess. This is a fact. Psalm uh, eighty-six five. O oh Lord, you are so kind. And good, excuse me, so good and kind, so ready to forgive, so ready to forgive, so full of mercy for all who what's that next word? Ask that's your choice. So you can see the Lord's attitude. The question is now, what do you want to do? That do you want to ask him to for your aid? So if you come to God with your sins, your habits, your hurts, your hang-ups. God is not going to scold you, he's going to save you, and that's good news. And that's one of the ways you need to see God's mercy in your life. Hebrews 4.15 says this, Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we're in need, we should come, now notice this next word, bravely before the throne of our merciful God. See, that's his foremost attribute, mercy. See, mercy triumphs over judgment. There, there, when we come before him, we will receive mercy and find the grace to help us in our time of need. See, God is not stern, but he is sympathetic. Now, a second everyday situation where God wants to show mercy to you and I is this. It's when you and I get ticked off, when we get angry, when we get angry. And everybody in this room has gotten angry. And I need God's mercy when I'm missing what I need. We often get angry when we're missing what I need and what we need. And the fact is, none of us have everything we need within ourselves. We're all finite, we're all incomplete, and we're all broken people with weaknesses. We all have things that we lack in our lives. Everybody. Now, if you don't depend upon God in your life, and you only depend upon yourself, you're going to grow up being frustrated and angry and resentful and disappointed. Don't forget that last word. That's a real part of the human condition. Because there are years in your life and my life that only God can meet. And John 5, uh, 2, tells us a story of Jesus showing the mercy to a very disappointed man. Let's pick it up. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool. In Jerusalem, there's a whacking great bunch of walls. And there's different gates where you can get entrance. This one's called the Sheep Gate, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colonnades. Very unusual, very unusual architecture. There were a number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for how many years? How many years? so feel in a minute some of you are not even 40 feel that 38 years now by the way archaeologists have um, in the late 19th century uncovered uh, this place just flick to the next slide please yeah and the next one it, it, there was no one sorry back, back track up there okay so you can go there and you can see this exact place where this happened now a couple of points about this. We don't like to admit it, but all of us lack some abilities. That's called a disability. No one has all of the abilities to meet even their own needs. This man had been waiting for a miracle to meet his needs, and he's been waiting how many years? Right. What have you been waiting for to meet all of your needs? Are you expecting somebody in your life to meet all of your needs? And it's just not happening. Maybe some of you in this room are saying this in, the, in, in your heart of hearts. If I could just get married, all my needs would be met. Does anybody want to give a testimony about now? <laughs> Folks, those of you who are wishing that, did you hear all that laughter? <laughs> okay. you need, that's a reality check. That's what that means. <laughs> Come and talk to them. They'll tell you. This guy is disappointed. I'm going to show you soon why. And he's upset. He's frustrated. He's been living there, lying there for 38 years. Why is he disappointed? Well, I want to suggest to you because he's put in faith in something else besides God, some folklore legend. He was disappointed because he couldn't get what he needed. And by the way, you're going to always be disappointed if you expect something else or someone else to meet needs in your life that only God can meet. What's your secret disappointment? Maybe some of you sitting here are saying, to be honest, Ian, I am disappointed in my marriage. It's not all that I thought it was going to be. And I've just settled for what it is, and I'm disappointed. Or maybe you'd say, if I'm really honest, Ian, I'm disappointed in me. I thought by well, this time in my life I'd be further down the road, but I'm not. Or maybe some of you parents would say, "Well, I'm actually pretty disappointed with one of my kids." Or some of you may say, "I'm really disappointed in my career. It's going nowhere. It's meaningless. What does Jesus do with disappointments in our lives? I want to suggest to you, and you're going to see here, that Jesus responds with mercy. Notice what Jesus does with this man. John 5, 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, him, do you want to get well? That's a pretty crazy question, I thought, when I first read that years and years ago. Why would Jesus ask that? That question, friends, was designed to focus a man's attention on Jesus and to stimulate his will and to raise his hopes and break him out of his stupor. Spiritually, man's great problem is that either he doesn't recognize that he has a need and he's sick or that he doesn't want to be cured. See, people are often happy, at least for a while, in their sin, I've found, too. I've met many who have said, you know, well, I'm miserable. And I've said, well, pretty much, well, why didn't you change? Do you want to change? And they start giving excuses and making rationalizations and blaming other people. This guy did. In, in five, seven, he says, sir, the inverted replied, I have no one to help me to get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. His anger comes out for two reasons. Number one, he missed out. He felt cheated in life. He felt cheated Do you. Secondly, he blamed others. Nobody put me in. Here's a very important question. Who are you blaming for your unhappiness in your life? Your boss, your kid, your spouse, your parents. And three, he also resented those who succeeded. Well, somebody always gets ahead of me. Do you resent the success of others? How about the success of your brother? Do you resent that? Or your sibling? John 5, 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pack up the mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So you can imagine what the Pharisees had to say about that. What seemed impossible became possible when you trusted Jesus. Now we know on earth that not everybody gets healed. If anybody else tells you that they do, they are lying. They have a problem with that. They have not read the Bible fully in context. This is not heaven. We live with the effects of sin and the effects of imperfection, corruption. Sin corrupts what God created. And many godly people live with chronic pain. Some of you need to go back and read your Bibles with a fresh set of eyes, and say, God, show me the truth. But this is earth. In heaven, there is no sadness, there is no sickness, there is no pain, there is no sorrow or suffering. So I don't know why some people get healed and some don't. I've prayed for some, some live, some prayed and they don't. They die. I don't know why. But I do know that when I ask for help, God's mercy can make the impossible possible. He can do things I can't. He has resources I've never thought of. He can make the impossible possible. So while you're on earth, the problem may not be removed like it didn't for Paul and many others. But God will, this is what he does do, he will give you the supernatural strength to handle it. What's the impossible problem you're facing right now? You're thinking there's no way on God's green earth that's going to happen. Maybe it's, well, I've been waiting for 38 years by the pool to get married. (laughs) I want to be clear. Now, I want to be real clear about this. If you open your life to Jesus Christ today and you invite him to be your saviour and the manager of your heart, you will not live a problem-free life that is unbiblical. That comes later, in heaven. That's why we have the hope of heaven. A follower of Jesus Christ has and gets dealt often the exact same problems as a non-believer. The difference is that we have the power that comes from God to handle it in ways that we would never handle on our own and would be overcome. With sadness or sorrow or, or anxiety. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us, notice this, everything that we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Finally, there's a third situation in life that every one of us will eventually have to deal with. Every single person. I need God's mercy when I am facing death. Death, friends, is a universal problem caused by sin. It is inevitable, it is unpredictable, that's in other words, when, and it is final. And the fact is this, we forget this. God made us to last forever, and He wants you to be part of His family in eternity. He wants to adopt you, but again, you need to say yes. Now the story I'm going to look at here is the last one on your outline in Luke 23. It's a story of a dying man. It's a thief on the cross. And Jesus is hanging there between two criminals, two evildoers. And one turns against Jesus and the other one turns to Jesus. Both in exactly the same pain, notice, exactly the same situation. One turns to him and the other one turns away from him. Let's pick it up. Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at them saying, Aren't you the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Save yourself and save us. And by the way, point to note, Jesus did not come to save himself. He went to the cross to save you and me. That we can be with him and his family forever in heaven. Here we go. But the other criminal rebuked him and he said, Don't you fear God? He said, Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. a Couple of observations here. I love it. The thief uh, this thief says, Don't you realize, you off the seriousness of the situation? You're about to meet God. Now interestingly, the reason so many ignore God, I think, and they live unholy lives, they have this wrong perception that death is the end, so they can do whatever they beep, they like. But they are wrong. There is life after death. And some of you say, "Well, Ian, how can you be so sure?" Why do you believe in life after death? I'll tell you why, because Jesus proved it. He did it. Death is a door to eternity. And one day we must all go through that door and stand face to face with God and give an account of our life. In other words, other thieves saying, don't you realize the serious of the situation you are minutes from death and you haven't figured this out? Second observation here is we all deserve to die. For what we've done but this guy he confesses his sin I deserve to die for this that's confession he's saying that we deserve to die but he says but this man has done nothing wrong he didn't say well this guy isn't as bad as us he says he's done nada zip wrong question can you say that about anybody in your life even your mother (laughs) or your dad friends there's only one perfect person in the universe and he is God and that's why only Jesus can save you it requires a perfect saviour to get you into a perfect place called heaven for eternity so the imperfect guy turns to Jesus in his last minutes last minutes of the life the clock is almost out and he says this Jesus Remember me. That's all he says. And Jesus answered them, I tell you the truth today. Immediacy. You will be with me in paradise. Friends, that is mercy at the last minute. That's getting in by the skin of your teeth in the last few seconds of your life. Now, what's implied in these two words? Remember me. This guy knows he can't do anything to save himself. He can't do any charity work. He's hanging on a cross, right? This crook. So that's no good. He knew he'd made a mess of his life. He'd wasted a lot of time and he had nothing to offer God. But also, I love his honesty. He doesn't try to make excuses for his sin, he owns it like a man. He doesn't even compare, well, you know, I'm pretty bad, but I'm not as bad as, and make all these ridiculous excuses. No, he's hanging there with zero hope in himself. So he throws himself in the mercy and the grace of God, and he just says beautifully, what did he say? What did he say? That's it. That's all he says. That, my friends, is the shortest salvation prayer in the Bible. Now, I just want to square up a few squirrely bits of thinking around the place. Some people have got a crazy notion that you need to have a certain formula to be saved, certain words, recite a ritual. You must include certain theological terms or it doesn't count. Clearly, that is wrong. He just says, what did he say? That's it. The point is, it's not necessarily the words that matter. It's the attitude of your heart, because God knows that innately. What happens when I repent and I humbly ask for Jesus' mercy? When I say, God, I admit I've sinned, I've messed up, this is what he does. God's mercy saves me for eternity. This is what Jesus promised. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth today you will be with me in paradise. He said it's immediate today. You go straight to heaven because you've accepted the mercy of God. Let me wrap it up. Friends, you were made by God to live forever. And he wants you in in his forever family. But you have to ask. Look at this verse. This is what Easter is all about. This is why we're celebrating it. John 11, Jesus speaking. He says, I am the resurrection. i just proved this. And the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live again. I am betting my life that Jesus Christ is not a liar. What are you betting your life on? If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, I would have no reason, no valid logical reason to believe that I would be raised from the dead one day. I would have no reason, valid reason, that there will be life after death. Zero reason for that. But because he did it, because he was raised from the dead, I have evidence that he could also raise me. Now what's the condition for receiving the mercy of God? You just asked, Acts 2.21. Anyone, that's anybody here, who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and shall be saved. doesn't matter what your background is doesn't matter whether you're a Buddhist or a non-believer or an atheist or agnostic. No matter what your background, God's message to you this Easter is the last verse on your outline. And it comes from Isaiah 30, verse 18. The Lord God is waiting to show you how kind he is and to have mercy on you. The Lord always does what's right and he blesses those who trust him. For your entire life, God has been preparing for this moment. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. So what I want to do is I want to close in prayer as we receive God's mercy. And if you've never done this, I highly recommend that you pray this prayer. Let's bow our heads. Friends, don't get too particular and worried about the words that you say, because it's more a matter of humility and God knows your thoughts. But as I say these words, you can just say, me too, God, I agree with what Ian's saying and make this your prayer. You might just start off by saying, God, dear God, I need your mercy because I've messed up. I've sinned and I know that one day I'm going to die and give an account of my life to you directly. And I admit it, that for much of my life, I have actually ignored you. And you certainly haven't been first. I've loved other things more than you. And I've sinned against you and I've lived for my own plans, not yours. And today, God, I want that to change, starting right now. I want to turn away... For my sins and turn towards you. Jesus Christ thank you for so much. For being so merciful. I know I don't deserve your forgiveness. And I certainly don't understand it all. But I want to thank you for dying on the cross for me. For all that I've done wrong. So that I will not have to pay. And bear the burden of that penalty. Of separation from you. I know that I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't. Deserve your grace, and it's only your grace that could save me. I could never be good enough to get into a perfect place. So Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you took all of my guilt on yourself and you made me acceptable to your Father in heaven. So just like that thief on the cross, right now I humbly ask you to remember me and save me. To save me not just from eternal separation from you, but I ask you to save me from the sins and the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups and the attitudes that mess my life up right now. I want to say I believe in you, Jesus. And I believe that you will keep your promise to save me instantly and certainly and completely and eternally. Thank you. Amen. Today, folks... I want you, every single person in this room, to pick up those communication cards one more time. Can you just please pick them up? I'll wait for you. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. I would still want you to all put them in the offering buckets later on. But would you do me a favor? Would you please just put your name on them? And if that's all you want to put on there, your cell phone number, which would be great. But today, if you said, remember me, would you just on the back of it write, remember me"? If you felt today that you want to recommit your life to Christ, would you check the box in the back of that? Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing around you. That's up to them. It's you. Maybe some of you felt today that you wanted to take a next step and get baptized. If that's you, just put in a check on that whilst you're listening to this next song. And would you do that? And then when they ask for the offering buckets, just pop them in. Everybody, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much. God bless you.